0: Tchau, e All right, you marvelous March Mad people, as Vic likes to say, welcome back to the show. We've just resolved the contentious Hatchet vs. Scream 2 matchup. Eh, Was it contentious? I'm not so sure. But now it's on to the final two pairings of this episode. Let's return to the peak franchise regional for Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie version, against Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, two. Now Zombies Halloween two is a seven seed and TCM two is actually the underdog here. The older film, Toby Hooper's classic in my opinion, is uh is the ten seed. So this this should be a pretty interesting matchup I would say. Halloween 2, of course, was released in 2009, directed by Rob Zombie, starring Scout Taylor Compton, Danielle Harris, and Malcolm McDowell. It is, of course, the direct sequel to Zombie's Halloween reboot of just two years earlier, which follows Michael Myers from childhood and introduces Laurie Strode about halfway through the movie. This sequel focuses on Laurie's trauma in the aftermath of her first encounter with Michael, as well as the moral decay of a cynical Loomis and Michael's eerie, potentially supernatural connection with his dead mother. We're kind of taking a page from Friday the 13th here, in that Michael's mother is a driving force for him in this one. While well, the film grossed about $39 million worldwide, which was a disappointing result after Zombies' first stab at the franchise netted twice that tally globally. Reviews were pretty scathing, though Time Out stated that Compton's portrayal of Lori Strode showed an intense, non-trivializing dedication to the role that maintained the reviewer's interest, while the storyline of Dr. Loomis's egocentricity hindered the overall plot. Generally, when it came to the controversial imagery of Sherry Moon Zombie and her white horse, the word that critics tended to use was silly. However, Joe Newmeyer of the Daily News stated that Rob Zombie found himself with Halloween 2. And Newmeyer describes the film as a successful character-based monster flick and says that the imagery of Deborah Myers and the ethereal white horse were a nice visual relief from Michael's violent attacks. This film is notable for several reasons, one of which is... It's really divisive among Halloween franchise fans and the uh, horror community in general. I would say it's more common for people to, to consider this a bottom three Halloween movie than top three. On this show, we're already kind of outliers with our positive opinion about it. If uh, you didn't know, uh, we covered this film in great depth Uh, on our last season before switching to March Mad Men when we were just delving strictly into Halloween movies. And I think all three of us landed on it being surprisingly excellent. I think that this movie will be rediscovered and appreciated eventually, especially as the more dated and cheesy, even hokey sequels prove to be increasingly underwhelming to horror fans born in this century. That's not to say I believe that the original sequels are without merit, but I think that at some point horror fans are going to realize that bitching about Sherry Moon Zombie and the White Horse will have to give way to the realization that her husband's Halloween 2 is a hardcore modern horror movie and not, like some of the sequels, more of a goofy artifact that you kind of have to put on your historian hat to really appreciate, outside of a maybe slightly derisive enjoyment. (sighs) Yeah. Halloween 2. I think I'm introducing the next movie, too. No. No, I'm not. What
1: kind of an ending was that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Rich. I've only been doing this for a <laughs> short like, time.
1: <laughs> like a, a heavy, a heavy sigh.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, no, I'm doing T. I'm doing TCM. Good, too. good,
0: good. All right.
1: Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too. Uh, so, look, I'll be honest. Normally, I put uh, I put a surprising amount of time into to crafting my hero T ups. I didn't get a chance to do that this week, so. My thoughts are a little more scattered than normal. So forgive me, but in order to make it palatable, I'm going to deliver the entire thing in character as Chop Top. I'm not
0: going to do that. <laughs> um, oh, I would love to see please. that. I would love please. to see that. <laughs>
1: I don't, I don't, no, I don't think I could pull it off. I, I would have, I would definitely would have had to rehearse it to, to pull that off.
0: Like one, do, um, do you have any notes like one paragraph as Chop Top? <laughs>
2: <laughs> i just want you to just shout Nomland periodically throughout the throughout your intro
0: and also like if 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 this movie does not advance that's one thing but if it does i want your chop top impression next time okay
1: okay I'll, I'll make i'll make you a deal if this movie makes it to the next round I will talk about it in characters chopped up uh, with with a coat hanger. But, but, if it, but if it doesn't, you have to talk about Halloween two as chopped up, <laughs> which would also yes. be fun. Honestly, it'd be more it'd be more fun than talking about it as Rob Zombie. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. This is a slasher. I mean, like it is a slasher. There is definitely slashing. Uh, it's also a comedy from 1986. It's directed by Toby Hooper. Um, it's been described as a as a parody. Like I guess you could call it that um, to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which which Hooper, of course, also directed and and co wrote. It stars Dennis Hopper, Carolyn Williams, Bill Johnson, Bills Mosley, and Jim Sidell. Um It primarily follows Stretch, um, a radio host who is romanced slash captured by Leatherface, his uh, delightful brother, Chop Top, who we've discussed, and their wacky family, all while Dennis Hopper's former Texas marshal attempts to hunt them down. In vengeance for this for his son Franklin's death in the first film, so in terms of a you know theatrical release, this thing came out '86. It grossed eight million uh, at least in the U.S. off a four and a half million budget. You know, so it made a profit, but it also got a pretty mixed reception from from critics. You know, people were equally both disgusted and excited by the by the amount of black comedy and gore. Um, which really was very different from the original Chainsaw's, you know, like sort of like minimalist approach, this kind of like gritty, verite style filmmaking that like people, like people on this podcast included, will cite as sort of being like this atmospheric paragon of, you know, of like tension um, for the genre and did so much while showing so little. This film shows it all and then some and but to a completely opposite effect whether you think that's genius or if you think it's it's, it's appalling is a matter of taste but i can tell you that canon films were expecting a horror film when they asked hooper to make this thing i know that they weren't very happy with the with the final product but all the same we ended up with the cover which is about a good a starting place for this film as anything else it features the Sawyer family posed in the same pose as the 1985 film The Breakfast Club a far cry from the original Texas Chainsaw. One notable review. Now I haven't heard of this site, but I thought it kind of summed up my feelings from all movies, which was that much hated at the time of its release, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 has aged remarkably well. Now playing as a strangely effective, if none too subtle satire of several facets of 80s excess. It's also worth noting that this movie was banned in Australia for 20 years An uncut version that was released on VHS by Warner Brothers in 87 um, will proclaim the fact that it could be found illegally um, for decades before. I had not seen this film before. I had caught parts of it when I was uh, like a teenager. And in particular, I'm pretty sure that I saw the, the Chop Top radio station scene. And I wouldn't say I was turned off, but it definitely like wasn't what I was expecting from the from the Texas Chainsaw franchise. And it was one of those things I think I avoided because I was concerned of being disappointed, which is something I'll do sometimes with franchises or or filmmakers that I really like. Like if I if I start to catch like the, the whiff of something sour, I'll just go the other way so that I don't have to experience that. I'm glad I waited. And like, I don't feel like it could have been more wrong. Like, I'll start out with the fact that like I am from Texas. I love the, the general Texan attitude on display here, and Toby Hooper um, is from Texas, or at least he went to, to college there. It's immediately apparent um, from the opening sequence. Part of it is coming from this, this, this. Uh, you know, there's license plates. The license plate says "fuck you." They're talk, They're drinking Shiner Bock. They're shouting hook'em horns. Like, there is definitely a general, like, Texas mentality going on. But also this entire film has a sort of, like, no holds barred, anything goes, I'll do whatever the hell I want to do kind of vibe for it. That really speaks to especially that kind of, like, drunken young Texas spirit. Now, here, like, Hooper has swapped out hippies for yuppies. We open up with these two characters named Buzz and Rick, who are these two annoying dudes who are just like rolling down the road, talking on a car phone. They're calling the radio station. Um, and apparently, for some reason at this time period, you could hold a radio station hostage by calling in and then just refusing to hang up. And this is the, the turn of events to pull Stretch yeah. into the story. She's a radio DJ. And she just, like, she doesn't know what to do. These two guys have, like, prank called the radio station, and, like, she doesn't know what to do because, like, they won't hang up the phone. So, like, we have to keep broadcasting it. That broadcast leads to a pretty uh, stellar appearance um, by Leatherface, who in this, uh, in this edition is not played uh, by Gunnar Hansen. So Leatherface here is played by Bill Johnson, although he's also notably subbed in by a man named Tom Morga. Um, in some some other scenes, um, but you know there's this, there's this initial like this really like bravo like entrance scene where Leatherface shows up riding on top of another car, wearing a corpse in front of his body as sort of a a puppet, as he wields a chainsaw and cuts through the the top of the the yuppie's roof, revealing some uh some pretty like intricate effects. Like this is all within the first few moments of the of the movie, and like. It's a hell of a far cry different than anything that you saw in the first Texas chainsaw. It's clear that you're up for, for a different movie. But it also tells you pretty early on if you are loving the effects of the scene, if you're loving like the energy and the tone of it, then you are on board for like a ride that I really think that you're going to to love. Like from there on, like stretch pretty much takes on the, the story. Like to me, like she's like a strong, like proactive and assertive heroine. Um, Carolyn Williams, who played her and was also in Leprechaun 3, is just a, like a total powerhouse who just is like constantly propelling the plot of this film further. Not even Dennis Hopper, who shows up later as this, you know, like, and and, and Dennis Hopper, by the way, appeared in this movie as the character of Lefty, this vigilante Texas Ranger. Um, this movie got released just like a few weeks before Blue Velvet. And I think you can see that like Dennis Hopper was still kind of in that a similar like vibe here. He doesn't have yeah. as much to, to to work with, but you know he's channeling the same like level of energy. You know, but that said, like I'd say he's still kind of this background kind of tertiary character who like shows up and like adds to the chaos of the Sawyer family. Whereas like the stretch character is the one who's really like pulling us through this this narrative. And to that end, like I think she does an, an amazing job with it. Dennis Hopper, like you get introduced to him like he's trying to to solve this crime. You get this really kind of iconic scene where he goes to a it's like a roadside gas station type shop where he goes chainsaw shopping and there's an entire room full of chainsaws. And he's just kind of like <laughs> silently picking up one after the next, like looking at them and waving it around and like pretending to to stab people it has that like Nicolas cage sort of energy where you felt yeah. like the director yeah. just, just realized that he had like kind of a, like a live wire of a character actor and was just like, yeah, hey, you know, d- d- do whatever you want. And he just ran with it. And then you get chop top shows up. Who's a uh, played by Bill Moseley. Um, I'm going to sit, go on the limb and say, he's one of the most memorable characters of this entire competition, but so he's an ex Vietnam vet, which is why he wasn't in the first film. He's the twin brother of the, the hitchhiker um from the first film and he's definitely like he's somewhere between like a coked up you know like late 70s early 80s stand up comic and like a burnt out psychotic homeless vet he's scratching the metal plate in his head with a with a with a coat hanger that he's heating up with a with a with a lighter and he's like biting bits of the flesh off of it he gets gets introduced as sort of like the the thing that pulls stretch into the Sawyer family web and like that leads to leatherface coming in we have to talk about this weird like near rape scene where leatherface corners stretch and seems to kind of get horny with his chainsaw and you know she rich rich you can't
0: walk us through the entire movie in the first round man save something save some ammo I'm passionate about this tape. too. I am very passionate about this too. But <laughs> All right, sorry,
1: sorry, sorry, sorry. Like I said, I, I didn't get, I didn't get time to edit. So so forgive me. Okay, I'll I'll speed it along. Anyways, fast forward, essentially, like, what do you do with all these people? You trap them all in a subterranean amusement park, and you basically let them tear each other to, to pieces. Leatherface, who's, like, known as, like, Bubba in this film, you get the indication of, like, where this series is going for better or worse. He has this sort of, like, childlike character that's that's developed over this. Like, he is, like, this uncontrollable adolescent um, who 's buried under a bunch of skin there 's just insane effects with characters who have been skinned alive and are still walking around and i 'd also say that like this is a movie where more key characters than you think uh, might die before the end of it um, without giving too much away and so all that sort of sums up what like, what I love about this film like it reminds me of the anarchist tendencies of someone like John Landis, who is like a comedy director who's tackling horror, but in reverse. Like Toby Hooper's send up of his own IP kind of like ramps up the mania and the gore to highlight how absurd horror filmmaking is in in the first place. This thing is less peak franchise than it is meta or dark horse, but I mean, it's all of those things. It's damn entertaining. Like in my mind, this is an indispensable piece of genre trash, one that I'll be deeply disappointed if we can't discuss in more detail throughout this competition.
0: I am applauding you, sir, and I am applauding the film. But Vic has been chomping at the bit, so Vic, take it away.
2: First, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Caroline Williams show up as one of the doctors in Halloween Two in the opening scene?
0: Yes, she is. Yes, she's cutting the clothes off of Taylor, uh, Scout, Scout, Taylor, whatever. Sorry, the lead, Lori. Yes, Mm mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. This mm, is yeah. fabulous, John. Because I listened to so I listened to our podcast on Halloween 2. I actually fell asleep listening to it, and it was still on when I woke up because there's like six hours of it. Uh, and you and you made the exact same mistake with Scout Taylor Compton.
0: <laughs> I still struggle with that. <laughs> who, who I I wrote it struggle? down in my yeah, I wrote it down in my notes this time wrong, and then went back and fixed it. Uh, yeah, it's, it is
1: an awkward name.
0: <laughs> yeah
2: um i'm so here's what i'm gonna say and this is this is like honest to god these are both movies that make me like physically
0: queasy that's a good thing
2: yes which is an accomplishment right like it's only an horror movie competition you're like jesus i i feel like i need a shower better switch to tcm2 oh god
0: when we do our rom-com season that might not be a positive (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly yes uh but no i will say like halloween 2 is trying to market a little more in like realistic feeling like you're you're like meant to feel dirty on like a very like practical level like you're meant to feel like these people have like deep emotions that is not something they're going for in in chainsaw but uh, no. forgive me for interrupting. yeah
2: well, never. Nevertheless, so maybe I feel I feel I feel queasy in a different way, but I still feel very queasy uh, during both. I did. Think, it's more I mean, like it's mentioned- more
0: like a tuna fish sandwich that's gone bad in one case, <laughs> and, and then in the other, it's like maybe rotten eggs. I don't know. Yeah,
2: yeah. But, Honest to God, do you guys think that like Dennis Hopper and Toby Hooper and Bill Mosley were just? <laughs> Face planning into piles of cocaine in between takes. I, I have a like theory. I imagine I imagine like 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 scarface sized piles of cocaine on the set of that movie.
0: My 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 first thought was that and I, I we could have looked this up, I did not, but was that Dennis Hopper was there for like two days. So you like you shoot an hour of him like chainsawing through uh load bearing beams and stuff, but he only had like a little bit of time with the rest of the cast or something. Like that's the only way I would justify like from a writing perspective, it makes no sense how they use him, utilize him in this movie. So yeah. I was thinking it was a scheduling yeah. thing somehow, Yeah, you know?
2: Well, I mm-hmm. I mean I would really urge our our listeners to go back and listen to Halloween 2 our our Halloween 2 podcast because I really I I did go back and listen to it because I thought I don't want to repeat myself like what else do I have to say about it? And the answer is we said everything about Oh
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot to offer on that. Oh, and Turner and and uh, I saw TCM too. I started to say Turner classic movies. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: thought you were going to say Turner and Hooch. <laughs> On
2: Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I saw this when I was like 14, and I remember watching it and feeling kind of ill, and like the next day, putting it on again, because all we had was a VCR and this was the only movie I had, and getting to this scene that sort of radio station attacked, and specifically some of the creepy things Leatherface does with the chainsaw, And like turning it off and be like, you know what? I don't, I just, I I don't want my brain inundated with this a second time (laughs) in 24 hours. Leatherface putting, there's a scene where Leatherface puts a face on someone and then dances them around. It's one of the most upsettingly bizarre things I've ever seen. I mean, I think when you talk about this movie, like, you do sort of have to say there's stuff in there that, like, you just can't believe is on a movie. It fe- <laughs> it feels like a movie that shouldn't exist. And, I absolutely, I noticed exactly the Texas thing you were saying. I noticed the Shiner Bach. I noticed my, my wife is from Texas, and I've spent an unordinate amount of time there recently thanks to COVID. So, yeah, I, I noticed all that. But I don't want to sell Halloween too short. Uh, again, listening back to the podcast, we talked a lot about that opening hospital scene with Octavia mm-hmm. Spencer. I mean, that's a fucking banger of a scene, man. Oh, yeah. Um, I did not care for the B story with Malcolm McDowell so much. But, man, there's – I don't know. There's a lot of good stuff in Halloween too. This is one of those matchups that I really have come into going, I don't know, man. I don't know where I, – I don't know where – I don't know where I want to go. And I don't want to talk too much about either of them because I want to have I want to make sure we save stuff for the next round, but I don't know I I just don't know where I'm leaning here. John, ch- chime in.
0: You know, I think you guys have talked at such length about TCM2 and I will just say this. It is truly my thanks for dropping that while I was talking Vic. <laughs> I will say this. I am so excited to do three and a half hours on that movie with you guys. (laughs) And I mean, let's face it. I don't think we're going to do another show about Halloween too. Like we, we did cover it. It's not fair. It's it, maybe it's not right, but I mean, I think in this situation it would be unconscionable to vote against Texas Chainsaw Massacre too and i'm actually i i can't believe i'm doing this i am not going to talk about that movie because i think i'm just going to save it and i'm going to give you my comments on halloween 2 telling you already that i'm voting for TCM i do really love the the zombie halloween 2 I, I do urge listeners to, to listen to our, our shows on that, if you haven't already. It has just such a great atmosphere. I, I really don't care about its artier, weirder, quote-unquote, pretentious aspects. It delivers the goods as a slasher movie, but I do think it delves deeply into the psychological damage that surviving something like that could have. And I, I love the fucked-up relationship that Laurie and Michael have as siblings in this film. I love Laurie's journey. I think it's you know beautiful in a in a twisted and and dark and depressing way. And I think her performance is is really really strong. I dig that movie so much, and I'm I'm, I'm I am kind of sad that the matchup is is this, and we we won't even you know give it a second round um, as as it turns out. And I will say about the McDowell thing is I found his whole plotline personally funny. I, I I kind of I understand the detractors on it, but I mean I I thought I thought it was doing something different with Loomis, which I think was somewhat welcome. That we're not you know just the painfully earnest champion of right versus wrong. I think kind of having as I think uh, Zombie put it a, a sellout Loomis was an interesting direction to take the character in, that at least, you know, when you've had 13, or I don't know, not 13, all of these Halloween movies, you know, why not have a cynical, egocentric Loomis? It's it's disturbing and unsettling and well shot and, and haunting, and if anyone wants to argue with me on social media about this movie, you know, if you think it's bottom three, I, I'd be happy to just kick it around with you, because... I, I do love it, but I, I am voting for TCM2, and I will talk for hours about this movie. I promise you. <laughs> so, you me. heard that,
2: folks. John <laughs> Evans said it. Come at it, bro.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, is anyone voting against TCM2? You
2: guys, you guys sold me. Rich, your enthusiasm was was positively infectious.
0: It was.
1: All right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad some good came out of it. I, I I do want to give a shout out, not that it needs any more pile on, but um Halloween 2. If you saw it once and didn't like it, like give it another shot. This is still a movie where it's like I feel like the brutality is really well balanced, like the gritty, grimy, cold, sharp feel of like embracing depression and like mental anguish. This movie Traffic Sin is really strong. I'll also say that I think that Brad Dorff may be my favorite cop slash father figure um, of this uh, particular subgenre. I'm still haunted by the scene where he finds Daniel Harris's body. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah great movie. Check brutal. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just give that movie another shot. I want to say I did not like it very much. Kuchak and I watched it together um on a sunday morning i'm sure i mentioned this when we covered the film and i was just like yeah that was pretty good nah, didn't do much for me and then we wa- we delved into it and man it grew on me so yeah it, it may be something that's a uh an acquired taste
2: and i'll take it over
1: any of those david gordon
2: green fucking movies too
0: agreed agreed, agreed.
1: although who, who knows in 20 years maybe we'll look back at the david gordon green movies and be like oh we misjudged them <laughs>
0: I, I, I'm not saying I'm not open to it. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm really not. I just think that some really thuddingly pretentious writing in those films, I'm going to have a hard time getting past. But but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Ironically, talking about you know how pretentious the imagery is of zombie movies, uh, Rob Zombie's uh, White Horse and all that, uh, the thematic stuff of the D- David Gordon Green movies, Especially the last one, the second one, the middle film. It's brutal. Alright, on to the final confrontation of this episode. Two newer films face off in the Dark Horse division, which is, of course, uh, all about those movies that are just a little weird, just a little different, not playing by all the rules. And we've got The Strangers, Pray at Night, which is a number four seed going up against a movie that is certainly debatably a slasher at all, but, uh, you know, that's, that's why it's a dark horse. Us, which is uh, Jordan Peele's Us, of course, is follow-up to Get Out. It's the 13 seed. And I'll kick us off with an intro of The Strangers, colon, Pray at Night, because <laughs> that's the official title. Released in 2018, ten years after the original, this movie was directed by Johannes Roberts and stars Bailey Madison, Bill Pullman's son, and Christina Hendricks of Mad Men fame. It was written by original Strangers director Brian Bertino, whom uh, you know Vic almost worked with, and uh, Ben Cate. Cate? Cate? This movie was in development for almost a decade, which certainly earns it the label of a troubled production. Regardless, the film was ultimately shot in Kentucky and Cincinnati on a $5 million budget, went on to gross about $32 million compared to the original's $82 million. Reviews were mixed, not as favorable as the originals, but uh, it did receive a warm response from the horror media in general, with many genre reviewers indicating that it was even better than the first movie. Glenn Kenney of the New York Times, a uh, very mainstream source, was mostly complimentary. And he, he did say, though, that the movie's ludicrously drawn-out finale sapped the goodwill out of some of my fellow audience members. The movie has notable elements for sure. I think that the, the top of mind for me is the extremely memorable set piece in an indoor swimming pool. While the I think it's indoor. While the song Total Eclipse of the Heart plays throughout, this sequence encapsulates both the original Strangers and its sequels' flair for ice-block-cold, merciless sequences that I believe truly capture man's inhumanity to man in chilling fashion. I will also say that in general, I like these movies Killers because they capture that. It's one of the more realistic and disturbing flavors of slashers. These are not your classic, psychopathic, delusional, paranoid, schizoid sort of slashers. That you see in movies like The Maniac, either Maniac, 81 or 2012, Pieces, movies like that. No, these are individuals who just kind of see hurting people as fun, like pulling the wings off of a fly. They may be truly broken on some psychological level, it's true, but in the manner of the true sociopath, they seem capable of functioning in society if need be. They just kind of like to put on a mask and kill Because they feel not an ounce of guilt or inner conflict about this pastime. And for me, that's really, really, really scary. In a way that ghosts and demons aren't. Because I know for a fact that those people walk the earth right now. And I'm at least fairly sure that all those other things don't. So that's kind of why this movie freaks me out even though it's a little goofy in some ways but maybe we'll get into that later that's uh that's my intro of this film and to talk about us here's rich
1: us as you mentioned was written and directed by jordan peele released in 2019 starring lupita uh nyungo uh winston duke elizabeth moss and tim heidecker who i gotta say elizabeth moss and tim heidecker as the sort of like proto uh white families and genius casting in general synopsis here is that so so adelaide and her family uh who were are attacked by a group of menacing doppelgangers revealing a sordid and sci-fi infused uh past for adelaide and her origins um you know this movie is as you also alluded to was Peel's follow-up after to get out, which was like a huge success um, in the horror community. I will say it's a film that I need to revisit and was not especially hot on um, at the time, but he felt like there was some confusion over whether or not it was like a horror film. And so he kind of set out to make like a, a real like die in the wall horror film for this. He referenced uh, the twilight zone. There's an episode called mirror image. Um, which also surrounds a woman and her doppelganger is part of the inspiration for it. There's this, you know, sort of description I read from him where he talked about how the characters of the, the family in this movie are also broken up in this, like, archetypal foursome of, like, a leader, a warrior, uh, a jester, and a magician. Um, that being, like, the the mother, the daughter, the husband, and the, the son, um, respectively. Which I do think that, like, kind of, like, reading that going into it, Actually, gave me a different perspective on the the way that the the characters were were sort of like you know like shoring up their their roles. This movie got a lot of press. Like people started calling Peel like the next Hitchcock when this thing came out. Um, you know, like the New Yorker called this movie like a colossal achievement, saying that like it, you know it was sort of could be the the horror equivalent of something like The Godfather, you know, or like two thousand and one. I mean, this movie, like, people really, like, were just, like, falling all over themselves in terms of uh, praising it. And me, for one, when I watched it, I was pretty underwhelmed because of that. I've seen it since a couple times. and I do think that this is a movie that, for me, perhaps because of that has improved upon every watch. This is a movie that I went into it, like, looking for meaning. You know, I think that the beauty of, of filmmaking in general, and especially, like, fam- fantasy filmmaking, which I think horror falls into is that you're essentially like creating like abstract art where like the abstraction is reality and like i don't know what this film was like quote unquote about but it definitely like evokes these themes of like classism and marginalization and and subjugation and like revenge the movie's kind of messy plot wise at times like pretty tangential um but like i do think that the raw materials alone are meaty enough to be worthy of the same kind of praise that like dawn of the dead gets for like you know, sort of, like, aping consumerism. And, like, yes, like, I think, like, the black POV in it is, like, frankly invaluable in a genre that has notably tokenized black characters to the point of of cliche. I think that in terms of, like, that sort of, like, personalized perspective, like, there's some, not anything that has been mined this well since perhaps something like, you know, like, Ganja and Hess. You know, the mistake that I think I made when I originally saw this movie was trying to tie it into that meaning. And I think that, like, trying to, like, find meaning in it is to sort of, like, m- to miss the point of this thing. But the question is, is it good and is it a slasher? And I'd say, like, yeah, I think so. I do think it's somewhere between, like, a slasher, a body snatcher movie, and a zombie film. But ultimately, like, if I had to land on one side of it, I'd still say that it falls into being a slasher, especially in a competition where we're comparing it to something like Strangers Prey at Night, which borderline has the same exact plot, except for the fact that the killers have been traded out from... You know, like suburban board uh, sociopaths to doppelgangers with a with a sort of sci-fi twist. Um, you know, the, the visuals in Us are sharp and chilling, and I mean that literally. Like the style is surprising and like gripping. The music choices are great in this movie, and the moody lighting is deployed for dread and shock. I think the scissors and like the the jumpsuits and the uh, the inexplicable uh, driving gloves. Um, often serve as like a metaphor and like also make for like genuinely unsettling like weapons of choice. The doppelganger of Jason, whose name I'm sure is no coincidence, remains shrouded in this unsettling mask. You know, we've roped home invasion for better or worse into slashers for a good reason. The driving action of these movies is basically stalking and at least the intended killing. Of the people throughout the film. And this movie has a higher and more memorable body count than that of, say, the original Strangers. And I'd say this is more along the lines of the Strangers Pray at Night or something like High Tension. You know, the stakes don't feel super real, at least for the family, at least until their, their friends get murdered. And I find that there's, like, some some sort of, like, weird, like, red herrings in it where it's, like, There's this statement that, like, the doppelgangers are like, like, we're Americans, which I, to this day, have no idea what that is supposed to mean. You know, the third act definitely gets muddled by this sort of, like, high concept that's trying to wrap up neatly, but it remains intriguing, and, like, the script is straight-up funny with the best laugh lines of any film we'll see here, and the characters are well-crafted and delivered by an A-list, at least by indie terms, um, cast. So, like, in short... I would say Jordan Peele has definitely not been revealed to be Hitchcock, as some declared. But I do think that he's delivered a polished and chilling horror here at a very high level with a clear love for the genre. This is marquee horror about adults that does not pander to the cheap seats. And it's far from perfect, but I do think it's a type of slasher film that we should be not just happy to have, but should actually be demanding.
0: Very solid argument. Vic, weigh in on us and, and then, if you want, um, The Strangers as well. I do not want, John. <laughs> no, you, want, you want for nothing. Uh,
2: this is another one that it's, a, it's an interesting pairing. Like, I think these, these films do look good against each other. I, I mean, I like Strangers Pray at Night. I think it's a strong entry. I love Us. Like, I am, I, I think it's one of the strongest horror films in the last 20 years. I think it's better than Get Out, although I think Richard would the the analogy I came up with. Get Out was like a scalpel in terms of what its targets were, and Us is like a shotgun blast. Like it has really big ideas, and it just throws them all out there and and leaves you to sort of interpret them uh, and and fill them out the way that you want. I agree. I think the casting is brilliant, especially Tim Heidegger. Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Um, I think the the humor. I mean, you're absolutely right. The humor. It's. I made a note about. There's a scene where where the dad says that they need to build booby traps like in yes! Home Alone. Yes,
1: that was what mm.
2: that. And she and she says this. This is the time to run, not to sprinkle micro machines on the floor.
0: To which the son
2: asks what micro machines are, and the daughter asks what Home Alone is.
0: Right. Right.
2: Um. I can understand issues with the third act. The actual climax, which we're not going to discuss, but I will say that I think it's one of the best climaxes in the competition. I love the way that it is shot and cut and the the, the way that it plays out, the ideas that it brings together. But both these films, Rich, you mentioned the music in, in Us, uh, and John, you mentioned the total eclipse of the heart during the pool scene. There's a couple scenes in Strangers Pray at Night that have really good music usage, much like the first strangers actually. Uh, although I think this has more of it. I love this in particular, there's a scene where one of the killers gets in a car with the dad and yeah. turns on the radio. Um, oh, yeah, that's great uh, for no, for no reason. I, I just thought that was brilliant, but,
0: but he doesn't need a reason because that's what that character no, is. No, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, it works
2: precisely because there's no reason. Again, mm-hmm. that, that was not a criticism. Yeah. Um, there is I like the idea that our protagonists are coming in on a post stranger scene, right? So they they wander into these rooms where you sort of see what's happened, they pull up they pull the window over and see hello written on the window a bunch of times. But that That's actually right. made me think of like behind the mask. Like how long does it take to write hello that time on the window? Do they do they have to bring their own lipstick? Like do they just find it when they're there? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: clearly like a motif, right? Like, did the last time, so they must have... Uh, anyways, I, I just thought sort of, that was sort of... Well, funny. it's like asking I, if Tamara is home. I also made note of the, the, the pool scene as well. It does... I just felt like The Strangers, the first one, works precisely because of the mystique of the killers. And this one robbed them by the end of mm-hmm. some of that mystique. And that kind of hurt it. And the ending is uh the 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 quote from the new york times was uh, glenn kenny was was absolutely spot on it had i mean again it, it built up to a solid a solid climax it doesn't compare to the ending of the original strangers but it built up to a solid climax and it just went 10 minutes too long after that uh i think trying to find some way to match what was As I said, when we talked about The Strangers, one of the great endings uh, in horror film history uh, and and just couldn't hit that bar.
1: I really like The Strangers' Pray at Night. Um, I know that no one's like, especially like disagreeing with me here. I mean, like, I think it is actually, I think it, taken as a whole i would certainly prefer it to the first one who i did vote for in this this competition i mean it takes like a formula that that essentially like works for me and and expands upon it like i think that the the cast is pretty good even if like the the teen dialogue is pretty uh, unconvincing throughout it i will also just i think it's worth pointing out like this movie is gorgeous and I think a big part of that for me is the cinematography in it. Like the way that they light this thing so effectively with like, with what seems like practical lighting where they're using, everything is lit by like a lantern or a lamp or a piece of neon or, or the yeah. spill from the diner windows in the parking lot. Like it is, it's borderline noirish, but like shot through the lens of a trailer park. Um, um. And what's interesting is actually watching us, I actually see it like evoking that same look. I'm not saying they they took it from it, but like they both share that quality where it's like these films that are sort of in these like urban, suburban environments that are all happening at night. And so therefore they have to be like, even the exteriors are being lit by the interiors Um, and they both like execute it really well. I will say Strangers Pray at Night the DP of this who would have been responsible for that look also was the, the DP for looks like the better part of happen. Leonard, he also DP'd haunt, which we'll see, uh, Mm -hmm. I believe later on in this competition. So I'm eager to, to sort of like comparing those notes, but like little stuff like the pool scene, which part of its power, I think, and it has many attributes, but one of them is that the the entire thing is lit by these like neon palm trees, which are inexplicably still like going off in the, in the middle of the night. Um, it just gives it this gorgeous glowing Nicholas Wending ref Refin. Is that how you say it? name? thank you. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like evocative of of something he'd do. So like I love just watching it. Um you cannot tell me that the father in this movie is not Ed Burns. I don't care what you say. TV, <laughs> Ed Burns is the dad. Of this movie. Um, this family puts up a lot more fight than like Liv Tyler or Scott Speedman did. And for that, like I, I salute them. Um, I really noted, like I had a criticism that turned into a compliment where I was angered by the number of opportunities that like the son gets to, uh, take out some of the strangers, but you actually get to see it escalate. He gets sort of like a fool me twice kind of moment where he keeps like not taking the opportunity and like eventually like reaches the point where he gets compelled and like, That's a good arc. Like, no, you wouldn't just like probably shoot someone at your first opportunity if you were a survivor in this scenario. But like you could get there. Like, if they try enough times, like you will shoot back. I appreciate that the restraint in retrospect there. So like this is a more thoughtful film than it deserves to be. Worth worth noting, I'm gonna
2: say this just because I'm a huge fan. Christina Hendricks from Strangers Prey at Night is also in season one of Happen Leonard, which if you haven't seen Go watch. It's fantastic. The late, great Michael K. Williams is in that, and definitely worth your time.
0: I also think that this might be Strangers' Pray at Night might be better than the original Strangers for me. I think I'm finding a losing battle here, guys, because I don't really like Us. I saw it in the theater and again for our pod a few weeks ago. This is one of those cases where overall my view of a film didn't change that much. I guess it's meaningful that it solidified. Because in my opinion, the things that I thought the first time were confirmed in this in this watch. Okay, I, I don't know where to start. There's definitely things I like, certain things that I really like. The film's use of, I got five on it. Is that the name of the song? Well, anyway, that's what yeah. I call it. Yeah, it absolutely works for me. And I see that song now, I'd heard it before, of course, in a whole new way that I love. I think they even do their own version of it. It's spooky in an incredibly cool way. But I think that might be my favorite thing about this movie, which I guess isn't a good thing. (laughs) My second favorite thing is the sequence around the middle, and I think we all are in agreement because you've touched on the actors involved twice now, both of you. This probably dying woman is desperately trying to get her Alexa-type device to call the police. (laughs) And instead, it plays NWA's Fuck the Police <laughs> which i love. And the husband and father in this film, this kind of jovial, somewhat goofy and clueless but ultimately extremely courageous guy is great. You you guys touched on this too. The general mood tone, look of the movie from a directing, cinematography and production design standpoint is pretty superb. It's a little music video-y, i would say at times, like the bunnies for example, uh very self-consciously stylized. But it, it's something that I enjoyed. There's a few other things, but like those are that's what I'm passionate about. And we can't really talk about a lot of the negative things that I'm passionate about in great detail on a non-spoiler show. I, I guess if you want to look at previous things we've we've discussed on this show, I hate aspects of this movie about as much as I hate aspects of the orphanage, if you want to know where I'm at. It's got that kind of half-assed Kevin Smith kind of quality at times where you just cheat stuff because hopefully people won't notice or care. It also kind of relies on arty ambiguity in a way that I completely call bullshit on a lot of the mythology and backstory about the bad guys is novel and creative. Sure. But if you give it a second or two of scrutiny, it just seems utterly ridiculous and fanciful And guys, I'm sorry, I hold produced movies and even contest entry scripts to a higher bar than that as a a reader or a viewer. It's not good enough. I'll give an example here, just one. There's a scene where a bad guy is standing in the middle of the road as the good guys cruise up in their SUV. Now, very clearly, you could drive around this person on at least one side. The camera framing tells you that. The street is obviously wide enough. What do they do? Stop the car get out and have a ridiculous confrontation that ends with the bad guy backing into billowing flames because i guess he has to mirror his doppelganger though that wasn't really part of the mythology at any point no rules dictate that he must i just think it's a profoundly silly sequence that is as unnecessary as a snorkel on a fish And I I, I get the feeling I will get to rail on this movie in great detail in the future, but I'll leave it there for now.
1: I feel like I can counter all of your arguments about that scene, but like, I'll save that for the next time,
0: John. (laughs) Glorious. I can't fucking wait.
2: (laughs) I'm going to put a snorkel on a fish and just see how it goes. Uh, I do not like this movie. um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid you're wrong, John. <laughs> Not as wrong as you are on Halloween H2O,
1: but
2: you said Kevin Smith. Did you mean Kevin Williamson? Because I don't see no. any Kevin Smith in Anywhere in Us.
0: I, I will tell you, I guess, in more detail later, like what I mean by that. But it's just like sort of lazy, sloppy filmmaking where just back to that scene, like you could have made it so that there was just cars parked on both sides of the street. You couldn't drive around him. But they're just like, nah, eh, we don't have to worry about that. I'll just, you'll just buy that they'll ha- they'll have to stop because this character is standing in the middle of a you know fifty foot expanse on either side.
2: All right. Look, I'm not gonna sit here and listen to you besmirch Kevin Smith. Of course his movies are lazy. <laughs> He's stoned all the time. Okay. <laughs> I, I if think if I you... want exacting <laughs> filmmaking, I will go see the fucking Stanley Kubrick movie, all right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, try Dogma sometime if you want lazy filmmaking. Uh, I fucking love Dogma. Love a a oh lot of people God. do. What's going
2: on? There, What's there's, happening between us?
0: Okay, Dick. literally, there is a scene where Matt Damon and Ben Affleck take shelter behind the boxes the cameras came in that they shot the scene with. They're like, why are... I recognize those boxes. I've been on a set. You've been on a set. Why are those boxes in the middle of the street? Well, they're just like, oh, well, uh, they need to, they need to take shelter behind something. Well, shit, we got the camera gear. Like, watch the scene, dude. It's obscene. Yeah, mo- average Joe six-pack doesn't know what those boxes are. You know that that's where it, what the fucking Airflex came in, but I did. It's f- just obscenely lazy.
2: I love dogma, and I love us,
0: and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I guess we're going to talk about us more. Um, so you're both voting for us? or uh... Yes, but okay. this
2: is not I, – I think I, I'll say this along with Rich. This is not, this is not in any way to, to smear The Strangers' Prey at Night. It's a solid sequel. I would agree in some senses. Like if you look at, at The Strangers, right, where I said it, the, the first act is an A+, and the last ten minutes is an A+, and the second act is just a C. This movie, I feel like the third, you know, the the last ten minutes is a is a D, mm-hmm. and the first act is like a B or whatever. Mm-hmm. the The middle of the film is really strong. It's a it's a B plus or an A. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of the inverse of the of the original. It is gorgeous to look at. It's not as good as
1: us. Sorry. Yeah, I gave the first ten minutes of an US the next twenty minutes a B minus. Then a a C plus, then an honorable mention for acts for the last half of Act Two. E for effort. Uh, I am look. I think that there is a. This is also just like a classic case of like I. I I'm with you. This is an ambivalent vote, and that I really like Strangers' Prey Night. I actually fully expected to be voting for Strangers' Prey Night before I got into the pairing and before I rewatched Us, but I, I am voting for Us. I just think that there is probably more to unpack for better or worse, depending on your perspective with regards to us. I think there's more to parse out and discuss and try to figure out. And maybe John's right. And maybe you were right. Like, I like I don't know. Honestly, I think it could go either way. I think that you're right. Us might not hold up to further scrutiny, but I do think it's intriguing enough to, like, bear that scrutiny upon it. Who doesn't want to hear John tell us why it doesn't hold
0: up
1: the Spurgeon? <laughs> Tweet at us if you yeah. don't want to
0: hear John talk. I will say for, for, the, for the podcast, it's probably good that us won. I will say that. And I think it will be a more interesting conversation. You're right. Okay. Uh, that's our show. Next time, we have Black Christmas. A two seed in the old school division going up against Terror Train, the Jamie Lee Curtis film, which is a fifteen. Heavy underdog, and then we also have a couple of naughties or oddies, what do what do we call the first decade of the century? I don't know.
1: How uh, all right, all right. Uh,
0: Aughts. Aughts. Yeah, boy,
1: no one calls them the not-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, that might be a British thing. I don't know. Google it. I it's I don't the, know.
1: It's, it's the aughts. It's the aughts. Yeah.
0: Okay. House of Wax, Ought 5, going up against sorority row, aught nine. And back in the 80s, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives. will go up against Child's Play from 2019 the reboot in a battle of peak franchise films tune in then until then uh get the fuck out of here uh guys and uh go go watch uh, us again and apologize to me in the morning <laughs> good night everybody okay that's a that's a good sign off john get the fuck out of here <laughs>